It's time to stop going to meetings. We don't mean never go to another meeting, but instead simply choose to have the right conversation with the right people at the right time. It's time to stop the routine. It's time to stop having meetings for the sake of it. It's time to stop wasting time. I'm Helen Chapman. And I'm Amy Webb. The rest is over to you. Let's get going. I was I was struck just the other day by, uh, actually it was a meditation that I was doing. Um, and it was a focused med- meditation on empathy. Oh, okay. And I, you know, we think about empathy, we think about how empathy um, contrasts with sympathy, for example, mm-hmm. and being empathetic these days, I'm glad to say, is something which is much more in our common parlance and in our common um, awareness. Yes. But, you know, occasional reminders are a really good thing. And it caused me to think more about empathy and thinking about empathy in the work that we do in mm-hmm. meetings and how tricky it can be in these virtual times to be empathetic when we don't have an awful lot of the the cues or the clues of body language and all of that yeah. uh, that we might have in the in-person meetings. Anyhow, I um, I took a look again at the work of Brené Brown, who I'm sure you know. Yes, doesn't everyone know? <laughs> well, and, and I think that the, the, this, I'm going to kick us off today with um, a quote from, from Brené. And then, and then give us a, a subject to, to, to kick around and explore together, which is what we do best. Yes. Um, so, but I'm going to kick off with this quote. Okay. Brené observes that the that connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment and when they derive sustenance and strength from that relationship. It reminds me of um, the work also of David Sibbett who talks mm-hmm. about trust and how trust is a kinetic energy that runs through groups. Um, trust and respect um, really sustains and creates energy so that conversations can happen between people. Yeah. Um, and so I get excited about things like this. And I, these are the things that, where my head hang out, hangs, hangs out when I'm thinking about how I'm working with groups. Um, but the, the issue that I feel exists, the bit that I really want to kick around with you is that I think that we as human beings tend to judge. So so when Brené talks about without judgment, I think we mm-hmm. do apply a, a massive um, judgment on people. Yeah. And that's not because we're bad people ourselves. You know, I do believe that we all work perfectly. We have the right intentions. So it's not judgment because we want to be awful or horrible to people, but there's a natural judgment that comes in between people. And I think that that judgment comes because we are working quickly. We are time pressured. We have to categorize and... Well, we don't have to, but we tend to categorize and label people because it's sort of like an efficient way of tidying up the people in front of us. 
Right. And the example I would give you is, you know, when was the last time that you or I were in a conversation and, you know, maybe with a group that we know mm -hmm. and automatically we might think, ah, you know, there's, there's George. Sorry for mm -hmm. all the Georges out there, but yeah, um, there's George. He's always trouble. I know that he's going to, I know he's going to disagree with anything yeah. that I say. Or here's Sarah. She's going to be quiet as a mouse. And, you know, I really want to hear from her, but getting anything out of her is really tricky. And so what I'm doing is sweeping up people under labels. Yes. And I think that is dangerous. It's and really I dangerous. Think that is judgment. And I also mm -hmm. think it's the natural condition in all of us to do this. Yes, I would so, agree. So labels and labels on people is really what I want to explore with you today. It's it's a huge one, isn't it? Because it can be so damaging. It can be so detrimental. I'm thinking about um when I used to work in schools and it was a had to be a really conscious practice as a good practitioner with children to make sure you're not labeling a child as you know that's the child that always plays up or that's the child that's always um making a fuss or because you you do you start to dehumanize the people in front of you because you just see a perceived behavior that you've put a label on and it can be so damaging to to your not only to the individual themselves, but also just to your interactions with them and your relationship with them. It starts to break down so quickly. Agreed. Agreed. And and what we tend to do is we look for clues that reinforce our belief or our, the label that we've given that person. So, you know, looking for, ah, oh, there's Sarah again, she's quiet again, I'm right. And then going a step further and thinking... Um, that maybe that she doesn't have anything to contribute, you know, and, and doing what you can to bring bring people into a conversation um, and not being able to sort of reinforces labels. And you and I both know that in, in the work that we do, our level of conscious awareness about this means that we explore for ourselves what we might be perceiving about somebody and that we can make moves to check that. So, you know, we've got practice in knowing how to bring a quieter person into a conversation or um, knowing how to value George's input um, because there's value in, in different thinking and disagreement sometimes. And that we're practiced in this and this is what we, we do. But where people are not practiced in it and where <clears throat> in meetings people's attention is drawn to the subject matter and it feels like the subject matter is the most important thing to discuss. The sweeping up of people and the labelling of people becomes a time-efficient way of just handling people. And it's a shame because we, you know, we are making this series of podcasts because we want people to stop going to meetings in such a way that it's routine, it's trance-like, it's just a thing that people do. And what we want to do is get get everybody to start looking at the people they're having conversations with. Yeah. And think about ways to get the very best out of them all. Yes. Um, do you have 
an example you can think of where you've seen this really either either positively or negatively um, show up in a team? I can imagine that it's more common that there's negative stuff with this labelling and yeah. it's not, not done yes. well a lot of the time, sadly. Yeah, I can. And I've got recent examples and, you know, remembering that what I'm saying here comes from recognising that, well, a belief in me that people work perfectly and people mm -hmm. are not set out to do each other in, mm -hmm. but people do get frustrated with each other. Yeah. So I've seen it differently and, um, or recently and where a, um, a, a person in a team had a completely, not just a different opinion about the way something needed to happen, mm -hmm. but that they had a very different point of view about the subject matter itself. And so they, okay. they were at odds with the entire rest of the team. And the rest of the team were eye-rolling, thinking, you know, there that person goes again. Uh, we knew yeah. they were going to be difficult. We knew that they would slow things down because they want to hold us up to to their point of view yeah now in that situation what what we've got as facilitators is um an entire team except one who are thinking in the same way yeah who feel aligned with each other and feel that they've labeled this this person as um oh you know not a not a troublemaker as such but but somebody who just is determined to hold us all back. So they've like an outlier, an outlier in that way, but yeah. they're not seeing the outlier in, in its, in that person's potential. Yeah. So in our, in our terms, we, we know that we would call that person the lone voice. Yes. So there we have somebody who isn't sort of bowing to the pressure of the mass in the rest of the team, who is sticking to their guns not because they want to be difficult, but because they want to feel heard. Yeah. And yet they're coming up against judgment, <clears throat> which means they're not feeling heard, which means because of the character that they are, they're sticking to it and going at it again, which is only cre creating an increased frustration. Yeah. Now, what I know about this, um, this lone voice person is that they don't necessarily need the rest of the team to go with them or even agree with them I know yeah. that all they need is to feel heard yes because they can cope with disagreement or in the end going with the majority but at least hear me yes I'm a person here <laughs> I'm a person and it takes yeah. takes courage so imagine if imagine if we weren't there to help that lone voice get their yeah. point in. Imagine how how many times that person would keep going to um, to, to feel heard, and yeah. how many times people just give up. And you hear, I, I've heard it from um, people in meetings say things that are like self deprecating, and you can tell that they've been shut down several times they'll say things like oh you know I I know you'll all think I'm just going off on a tangent again but yes and you can tell that there's like that history there where they're used to not being heard there they kind of have to quantify themselves to justify why they're bringing um 
something to say because they know or they sense that people are going to be annoyed before they even say anything. Mm -hmm. It just feels a bit heartbreaking. It really does. And and to put out the... To put out the apology. Yeah, to sorry put out, for existing. Sorry for existing. <laughs> to put out the um, the mitigation for anything that's coming. And if you ever notice the body language of somebody when they do that, mm. and how it, they can shrink a bit or feel a bit smaller or, you know, their shoulders come up or, you know, there's a look on their face which is more pleading if you like or apologetic yeah or sometimes a bit uh aggressive or can be the opposite yeah yeah so oh this is a it's such a fascinating thing because unless and until people can start engaging with people as human beings and not Mm -hmm. not labeling them and then and then reinforcing and watching for that uh, behavior to come and thinking yeah I was right she was going to be trouble <laughs> then the actual it makes a nonsense of the subject matter itself yeah and then when you think about why meetings happen typically it's to share information and then reach a decision in order that something can happen an action an activity a plan mm-hmm if what's getting in the way is people's inability to understand each other because of the label they've applied, then there's no wonder that the conversation is a bit either one-sided or a bit thin or that the decision yes. when it comes didn't really mean anything um, and that things don't about, happen. Um, the fact that people people will play play to that label that's been put on them either consciously or self-consciously so it's like you've got a whole room of people who are acting apart rather than being themselves and then that's why the issues arise um and that goes back to the trust thing doesn't it if you if you feel like you can't actually be yourself and you're there to fulfill a role um that someone else has cast you in yes in this big play that's happening it's not real. It's not honest. It is so true. And yeah. we we live into the labels. Even if, you know, I can't, I can't remember a time that I've been in a meeting where everybody sort of said, this is the label I've put on you. But there's something about <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we, we get it, we feel it. Yes. So in the past, I can remember sticking my hand up and saying, Look, I know you know that I, I know you all think that I'm going to be tricky here. Mm-hmm. And and so what I do is, um, or outspoken, let's say, what what I do and what other people do is they play into their label, mm-hmm. as you say. The, a, funny, a funny story to share from years and years ago when I was learning to be um, a, a facilitator way, way back. And I can, I still laugh now remembering this, which is learning about labels for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the person explaining this to me said, you know, when you go into a restaurant yeah. and you, your friend orders the chicken and you order the fish and the waiter writes it down 
And then the waiter goes away and eventually comes back with the order and will say, who's the chicken? <laughs> and your friend will put your hand up. And who's the fish? And suddenly you become, I'm the, she's the chicken, I'm the chicken and chicken. I'm the fish. Yeah. <laughs> and, and similarly in hospital, although, you know, I do know that, you know, waitering or waiting staff and hospital staff are much, you know, they're, they're fantastic people. This isn't a knock mm -hmm. at them. But, you know, typically... In the olden days, a consultant wouldn't come and speak to you by your, your bedside in a nice, you know, friendly manner. They'd stand at the end of the bed with a clipboard and a whole bunch of students around them. And they would say, right, this is the ingrowing toenail, <laughs> you know, and, and you would have, they would have labelled you as your ailment. Yes. And so you would have laid there, not daring to speak to the consultant, just yeah. being the ingrowing toenail. Yeah. Um. And, and it's, a, it's a daft example, but it is a, a good example of we become the labels that we think other people have put onto us. Yeah. And so often, especially when people go into maybe one-to-one -one coaching sessions, yeah. one of the biggest things that they struggle with is nobody really understands who I am. Nobody really gets me. I can't really bring my whole self yeah to work well you people talk about it and they talk about like having like a work you know like a work amy and a home amy yeah and obviously it's appropriate to behave in different ways in different settings but i think it it always feels sad to me that people feel like they have to be a completely different person at work than they are at home yeah. because and it it boils down to feeling safe, doesn't it? Yes. If you if you if you're not in an environment where you feel safe and valued, then you you're not. It it's too vulnerable to be completely honest and to be yes yourself. Yeah, agreed. And and you know one of the <clears throat> one of the biggest labels that I hear. So so the idea of personality profiling. Mm -hmm is becoming more and more than the norm and it's gathered momentum over the years and I think it you know in the right used in the right way yeah um handled in the right way it can be a really good thing so that people can build self-awareness yeah. and give themselves more choice about how they might behave so as you know I'm a big fan of Myers-Briggs what I love about the work of Myers and Briggs, who, by the way, were a mother and daughter. Um, oh, who, do you know, Helen, I've just always assumed they were two men. No. They Isn't were, that bad? Yeah, well, well, there you are. Labelling, labelling. My, my internalised misogyny coming out. That's That makes me love it even more. I well, love that. Well, <laughs> they were a mother and daughter, and I, I can't remember the the era. I'm going okay. to call out the 19... I don't know, 40s, I'm okay. way, I'm probably within, way, way, way off. Within the last 100 years, potentially. Yes, and what they did okay. was they took on the academics of the time. So you can imagine. <laughs> and and anyway, so, so pioneering in their own right. Yes, I love that. But they'd, they'd taken and worked with, I think it was the work of Jung and, you know, evolved that thinking into being something that is accessible for... Many. Yes. The reason that I call out Myers-Briggs is that a lot of personality testing can label you as a particular type. Mm -hmm. um, and what they say is that you can be either 
along a, along a spectrum. So, for yes. example, <clears throat> they would talk about introversion and extroversion. Yeah. Their profiling would help you understand what your preference is. But when you have your preference, for example... I would I come out as a an extrovert because I think I I think I'd take this test from a work perspective okay. and there's my work yeah. persona whether that's right yeah. or wrong. <laughs> and yet I know there is a massive introvert in me and so I yes. really do get my energy back from myself and at the end of a a long day <clears throat> I want to be <clears throat> on my own or yeah with my partner either reading a book or just being quiet. Yes. As opposed to going out to a party or seeing friends. Yeah. And so what this Myers-Briggs profiling can do is give me a sliding scale of I know I can do big introvert and be comfortable mm -hmm. there. And I know that I can access my extrovert self. Yeah. So I'm not going to go through all of the um, all of the layers of the mm. Myers-Briggs profile. But anyway, what I wanted to say about this is that what's tended to happen is that people have started to go through similar i am either myers briggs or similar pro personality profiling yeah and somehow get themselves a, give themselves a label yes and then what's even worse in my opinion is they look to other people and go ah he's an yeah. extrovert or yeah. she's an extrovert and use their bit of knowledge to, to box someone to box in. somebody off yeah. and it doesn't stop at personality profiling so you know t p uh, psychological behavioral terms are becoming more of our common parlance yeah. these days so so ideas like being passive aggressive for yes. example or other or, um, and with a little bit a little bit of knowledge i think is a really dangerous thing because people yes. think they're equipped to be able to assess others and then you you get people saying things like, "Well, he is passive aggressive," rather yeah. than that behaviour was a bit passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I even even uh, lifestyle choices can. I'm a, I'm a vegan, and the amount of um, judgment I receive a lot of the time when someone finds that out because they assume I'm gonna shout at them, I'm gonna be really, uh, you know. Um, judgy and angry <laughs> and <laughs> I'm constantly going to protests um, and whether or not that's true it's a perception of you know oh that person is makes this lifestyle choice which yeah. is so arbitrary and changes throughout people's lifetimes and you know all sorts um, you get a you get a whole host of preconceived ideas absolutely and mm -hmm. And I hear that. And so nowadays you must be really on trend because vegans are all the rage. Um, and just to, I mean, just to laugh about this a bit, a bit more, mm -hmm. the same was true years ago of the fact that I'm a northerner. Okay. From yes. the north of the, England. The north-south <clears throat> thing. The north-south th thing. So it's not so much the case now, thanks to Ant and Deck, who are Geordies <laughs> and, um, you know, the popular guys but I mean joking aside really yeah back in the day when I was yeah. starting out in work people would label me as the person who would be in her private time wearing a flat cap and have a whippet and you know race pigeons and 
accent. Uh, yeah, but but and also might be not quite as intelligent because the accent didn't quite. Uh, but I mean, we can laugh about that now, and and but it was it was real then. Yes, and so. You being a vegan, me being from the north of England, you know, we've had our share of knowing what it feels like to be labelled. Yes. But, but I have to, have to say, honestly, there are some times when I big up my northern yes. Britishness. I do, yeah. Amy, for the yeah. pride of it. And sometimes I yeah. really will live into that label. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. And of course, we, we have lots of privileges that other people don't have, you know, we... Um, in terms of racism or yeah. ableism, like we're both able-bodied, we're yeah. both white. Like we have, we don't have that experience of those labels that yeah. are even more damaging and painful. Um, and you know, it, we we can feel frustration at things that feel a bit a bit trivial, but then actually, what we're talking about can be a really serious, yeah. really awful thing for people in the workplace who yeah. are boxed in with these prejudices as well as these kind of you know l less damaging precon preconceptions that can be annoying and get in the way but then there's also a more serious side to it which absolutely. is just awful absolutely and the extremes that that brings and the yeah. impact on people's mental health and you know and thankfully this is all very very topical yes um, but I I loop back to this thing that the majority of people, and we work with so many across so many organ, you know, different industries and organisations, and you know, different positions in in organisations as well. The the vast majority of people intend good things. Yes, they do, and they work perfectly, and they would would be horrified probably if they felt that an action that they'd taken or something that they'd said in a meeting situation yes. had really closed somebody down or yeah but there is this unconscious um bias bias thank you yeah. that finds its way out and all of yeah. it comes from um a desire to be understood ourselves mm -hmm. um and a desire to get a point across and, and so on. And, and I just think that putting putting labels on things is something that, that people just need to have a conscious awareness of. Yes. Let's stop doing that. Let's stop thinging each other. Yes. And let's replace that with a desire to see the human being in front of us rather than win a fight over a subject area yes see the human recognize that their contribution is valid and find ways to hear the lone voice you know create the share of voice to engage in a in a diverse conversation that will in the end add value add rigor yeah encourage really high quality decision making in the end that more people around the the meeting room are going to have feel part of um so in terms of practicalities if if you know someone's listening to this who is a leader of a team and they're suddenly panicking a little bit <laughs> thinking oh do i do this yeah. um does my team do this 
Um, have you got any ideas uh, to try and get out of this way of working with each other on a on a more um, practical level? Yes, and well, the, the, there are practical practical things that people can do, which yeah. in an in person meeting. Something as, as straightforward as sitting in a different seat. So changing mm-hmm. the routine is looking at something from a different angle in the room can give a different perspective on the room and the people in it. That can also be achieved in virtual meetings by, I don't know, sometimes I sit on my settee to do a yes. call or, or I might be sitting at a, at a table or what have you. But all of those moves are, in practical terms, are are helpful, but they won't get at the underlying... They won't solve the problem. They won't solve the problem. And so, in truth, the hard work has got to be done by each individual yeah. on themselves. And the trick is to spot yourself doing it. And then don't beat yourself up for the fact that you might have labeled something as a yeah. outspoken or an extrovert or an introvert or just spot that you've done it think oh there's me putting a label on somebody yeah and and then then choose to ask a question or then choose to um, invite the person in or then yes. choose to do something different the the tricky thing is is that with time pressures which we've talked about in other mm-hmm. podcasts that takes an you know a fraction of a second longer to do than just being in the groove and just doing what you've always yes. done. It takes a moment, but honestly, from experience, I can tell you that very quickly it can become your new norm. It can be the new habit, yes, and then take no time at all. Yeah, and it sounds to me from from what you're just saying, um, it does sound like a mindfulness practice. Yes, it's. Um, you know, when, when you do guided meditations and um, you're told to, um, when I my yoga teacher, when we do a meditation, she says, you know, your thoughts that pass are like clouds yes. and you you need to look for the blue sky in between the clouds and the clouds being there aren't inherently bad, but don't get attached to them. Yes. And it's like that, we, those thoughts will crop up because we all have a whole history of, prejudices and biases and all sorts experience with us you fighting those thoughts will use so much energy and won't really work but acknowledging them as just a thought yes rather than okay this is where we're going now and this is I'm going to follow this to the end um and that I think can be quite empowering to realise that your thoughts are just thoughts and that's it. Exactly. They're not actions. <laughs> exactly. Um, I once heard somebody say, do your, does, does, does your inner voice or do your thoughts do you in? You know, do they give you mm. a hard time? And people around that person went, oh, yeah, yeah, my, you know, my, my inner voice gives me a really hard time. And he said, well, the good news is your inner voice doesn't know because your inner voice is you. You are the, you know, you can change that. Yeah. Yeah. And it just takes practice, doesn't it? It takes practice. Yeah. Being in the present moment. Yeah. So I I want to end, 
as I began, which is with mm-hmm. this Brené Brown, because I think it just yes, says I'd it all. Yes, i love to hear it again. Yeah. Um, she says, Connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment and when they can derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. I love that. I love it. Thank you, Helen. And thank you, Brené. (laughs) (laughs) If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TFP underscore meetings. Or you can head over to our website, thefacilitationpartnership.com.